temple. So it's kind of, it looms large. They're going there. So we're going to kind of use the temple tonight as a kind of first part, sort of understand what the kind of early church was doing. And then, it's quite interesting, you might go, oh no. <laughs> but I kind of, in this passage, there's a bit about kind of ethics as well. Um, I don't mean ethics as a kind of boring kind of cant or utilitarianism, all that stuff. There's a kind of practical ethic about how Christians, as a kind of living temple, kind of work it out into the world. And then finally, healing. We'll look at healing in this passage. So, to the start, and you do follow on in the passage, and, and actually Acts 2, just beforehand, that's quite interesting as well, because it kind of talks about what the early church was like. So we start out with Peter and John going up to the temple in Jerusalem to pray. So, I kind of might have looked like that, the one they were going to. So this, this particular temple was known as the second temple, and I'll come on to what that means shortly. So the kind of early church took this temple theme and kind of wrapped it around their minds and their understanding. I've got this kind of crazy slide now um, to kind of show you a bit of the story. <laughs> Probably can't read it. but um, So we kind of start off in our little temple story with creation and then Moses and the first temple and then the second temple and Jesus, I'll put him in the middle and bigger because obviously he's really important. Pentecost, us now and the new heavens and the new earth. And this kind of temple thing runs right through all that. So kind of Genesis itself, the beginning. What's going on there? So it's kind of interesting Genesis to kind of, the way we often think about it is sort of, okay, well it's sort of science kind of over here and then Genesis over here. And are they going like that? Are they kind of competing against each other? The thing is, they don't actually. And because it's not really, Genesis story is not really about material origins. It's not really about that. It's kind of about roles and functions. What and why are things like? Why are they like they are? And some scholars have kind of talked about how the kind of Genesis creation story is like the creation of a temple. Okay? So that's quite exciting. So the universe itself is like God's temple. And, and the thing with temples way back then is that you kind of put um, a, kind of, a kind of idol in, in, the, in the temple at the end. And, um, you know, what, what is the kind of image-bearing thing in the, in the universe temple? What is that? Yes! <laughs> you guys! <laughs> You're the image bearers. So, my, my wife Sarah, in March this year, she spoke about what it is to be bearing God's image in the, kind of, in the universe. So, if you're interested in that kind of stuff, then check it out. It's a great sermon. It's in March this year. So, so we go through the kind of creation, kind of temple narrative, and on the seventh day, it says kind of God rested. And I don't know, when I was a kind of, I guess, young Christian, I used to think, oh yeah, rested, so he just kind of chilled out. Didn't really do very much, that kind of thing. But it doesn't really mean that. It kind of means that God came and kind of dwelt and resided 
in the kind of universe. And kind of Adam and Eve were there as about relationship, so getting involved. So of course we know, so it's kind of like sacred space, what's going on there. So that's the kind of sort of first temple theme. And we kind of know what happens, the tragedy of the story. Adam and Eve sinned. They were rejected. But God, of course, has a rescue plan. He loves us human beings, and he wants to be in a relationship and to dwell with us. Okay, so going back to... So that's the start. Next bit. So the Old Testament spins on from that stage, and we, we come to kind of Moses and the kind of Hebrews wandering about in Mount, well, the kind of desert, which is quite a large place. And they're kind of journeying to the kind of promised land. But on their journey, they kind of built, well, <laughs> they may have built something like this. Of course, it's highly realistic, I'm sure. So that's the kind of, kind of God said, right, do build, build this, this kind of tent and described how to do it. And then, and then kind of God kind of resided. I think the, the word is that shikana, kind of glory resided in this temple. Yeah, so it's a kind of temple, this tent. So that's all very nice. So I guess, yeah, just building on that, it, it's a kind of microcosm of sacred space where kind of heaven and earth are kind of intermingling. So just moving back a step. We have kind of twists and turns in the Bible and we come to Solomon, you've probably heard of, and he kind of builds the first temple. And we're told in 1 Kings, when it's finished, kind of God's glory comes and resides in that temple. That temple was later destroyed by the Babylonians. I'm a bit geeky on history. I should probably go into all this stuff, but I quite enjoy it. <laughs> so the second temple, and this is the one that James and John were going up to, was built around 516 BC. And it was later rebuilt by Herod in 19 BC. And it's still ongoing at the time of his death in 4 BC. They're still kind of building it. And though this was the temple that Peter and John were going up to. There we go. So into all this, Jesus came. And Jesus was like kind of one man temple. People came to him for forgiveness of sins and healing rather than going to the actual temple in Jerusalem. Jesus was the place where the divine and the human came together and kind of intermingled and where people could meet with God. And Jesus was and is, by his death and resurrection, the new kingly temple. And death can't stop that. And the Roman Empire couldn't stop that. Uncontainable, irresistible, Jesus is the living sacred space and the place where we meet God. Okay, but the story goes on. And at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and the presence of Jesus came and dwelt with the apostles and the early church. And they became the living temple. We see the hallmarks of this in this passage. The lame man was healed outside the actual temple with Peter and John. Salvation and healing come from the living temple 
Peter and John. And the great story goes on. And the presence of Jesus via the Holy Spirit comes and dwells or tabernacles, if you like that word, in you all as individuals and mysteriously in the body of Christ in its fullness as a living temple. And I'm going to come down to the middle here because I think it's where it should be really. church is sacred space. Sacred space. You. You all. Do you believe that about yourselves? Perhaps you feel unworthy or you've blown it. You may feel stale. Maybe wandering around in the wilderness like the Hebrews in the time of Moses. God desires, desires to dwell in you and give you sustenance. Perhaps tonight you need to do business with God. But I wonder also, it's not just about individualism, it's a very Western way of thinking. Do you feel connected with a broader body of Christ? We need each other. Time and time again, the New Testament emphasizes the importance of all parts of the body. A healthy body needs diverse people endowed with a broad range of gifts of the Holy Spirit. God kind of meant it that way, to be diverse. Which is challenging. It's not easy. You can kind of disagree about how to do things. Different backgrounds, different cultures, different languages. But it's so important that you find your place in the living temple. Because it's from this sure foundation that we become sensitive to the prompts from the Holy Spirit as we engage in the world, in our day-to-day lives. So Peter and John knew this foundation. That's where they were when they were walking up to the temple at 3 p.m. in the afternoon all those years ago. So what happens in the passage Peter and John, the living temple, see a lame man outside one of the entrances to the temple called the Gate Beautiful. What a lovely word. The man was seeking alms, money, from people going up to the temple. He was lame from birth. And Acts 4 tells us he's over 40. He's probably been there some time. And as Peter and John approached He called out to them, as he had probably been doing for years, to people going up and down to the temple. And what do you think he said? So the passage says he asked them for money. That wouldn't have been 
like practicing bath in some, sometimes, when you kind of can walk in along and someone is begging, they say, can you give me some money? It wouldn't, he wouldn't have said that. Instead, he'd have called up loudly, give to God. It's a bit of a random thing to say, you might think. But in those days, giving to the poor was an important aspect of being a good Jew. It showed righteousness. It gained you public approval. So much so that the beggars in that time considered they were offering a service by enabling Jews to show their righteousness publicly. So far away from us, isn't it? This is why the lame man called out to Peter and John like he did. And if Peter and John had given him money, he would have in a loud voice proclaimed them to be the most noble people he ever met and invoked God's grace and blessing on them and their family and friends and all their children, all very public. So, the lame man asks Peter and John to give to God. And what do they do? Now, when I first read this, I find it slightly comedy. I don't think it was, but I find the idea of saying, um, uh, look at us. And so he kind of looks at them. And they go, we haven't got any money. I was like, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm not sure it's meant to be comedy, but I found it a bit comedy. <laughs> so what do they do when that goes on? Do they simply drop some money into his begging bowl, not give him a second glance, and stand back and wait for the warm public approval of their piety. No, they don't. And this leads us on to our next theme tonight. Ethics. So ethics is something we all need to think about in terms of how we live, our behaviours, and our choices. And we don't get a theory of ethics in this passage. We get a practical ethic. So the first thing Peter and John do is they look at the lame man and Peter asks him to do that this is not going to be about giving money in a culture of a shame culture he would have probably looked away I can't look at face look at us look at us and looking into someone's eyes I mean do you do you do that a lot <laughs> it's it's a deeply intimate thing to do in fact I, I guess sometimes we can feel uncomfortable if we kind of do it too long. It causes us to engage person to person. And this is what I believe Peter and John are doing here, engaging relationally, person to person, with the lame man. So when we as the living temple interact with people, we do so person to person. This means not labeling people, not diminishing people's humanity, not puffing ourselves up as superior, not being motivated by guilt. This is part of the reality of the kingdom of God. It's what Jesus talked about on the Sermon on the Mount. This is love. It starts within us, within this fellowship. And just tragically, the church gets it so wrong at times. And I share a story that I, I went to a friend's church a couple of years ago. It was a great, great service. 
but I'm, I'm a bit of a kind of introvert. <laughs> Might not believe it. <laughs> and so I kind of like, kind of, after, I kind of hide after church services, go to the edge, hang around the edge. Um, and so I went outside this church, and it's this fantastic view. It's actually in Dover. It's a fantastic view across Dover. The church is quite high up. Anyway, there's this lady outside, and I just got talking to her. And she said to me that it's like, that she used to go to this church a lot as a family. Um, but she hadn't been going for over a year. And this was the first time she'd come back. And she explained to me how, um, when she was going before, that her marriage started breaking down. And when she started going to the church in that situation, so, you know, this kind of Christian couple with a marriage breaking down, that she said it was almost like people didn't really know how to kind of deal with her as if she was a kind of problem to the church. And no one would ever address it that way. She kind of just sensed it from people. So she ended up kind of excluding herself, thinking, well, if I'm a problem, I'll just go. And that wasn't because of from anger. It was because of hurt and exclusion and pain. So thank God that she came back to that church So we need to ask the Holy Spirit to develop in us this person-to-person engagement and love without limits. If we can't love each other, how can we love other people outside the church authentically? So, moving on. Peter is motivated to pray for healing. Deep relational engagement with people helps us by the Holy Spirit to discern into the heart of people and their needs. So, just jumping back a bit. When the Jews gave money to the poor, it was about showing righteous behavior. But we see here what happens. Peter points everything to the source of saving, redeeming righteousness to Jesus himself. It's not about public approval for Peter. Indeed, later on, we see in Acts 4 that Peter was imprisoned and threatened by the Jewish leaders because what happened? This is all about Jesus. So Christian ethics involves building our lives on Jesus, acknowledging him as our king and being obedient to him. We shouldn't build our lives on receiving public approval for our deeds nor on accumulating material wealth, nor on advancing our status in the world. This is really tough. (laughs) So tough. I say this. It's tough because it's just in our minds, patterns of thinking to be like that. It doesn't just happen. But Paul talks about this. He talks about the fact that our very way of thinking and perceiving ourselves and others and the world needing to be changed by the renewing of our minds. These kind of patterns of thought. And it might take some time. We can think we have it all sorted. And then we have an event which maybe shows the pride in us. Maybe at work someone criticizes us and we feel unfairly. We feel defensiveness. The kind of pride coming up in us. So when I was at university, 
I went on a short Christian mission to the China-Tibet border to a little village called uh, Denka. There it is there. So that's the river Yangtze. And it's sort of kind of little buildings in the middle there. So the foothills of the Himalayas, quite an astonishing place. And the team I was going with had been there many years, many times over the years. On one of the previous missions in 1996, the team came across a group of people suffering from leprosy, living apart from the village. One of the team members, Val, was a physiotherapist. So Val went to this kind of leper's village and helped a woman living there. The leprosy had gone from her body, but her body was left scarred and lame by the illness. So that's, that's her with the lady in question. So Val helped the woman practically by making cloth padding so she could walk about without injuring her feet. But importantly, she also bathed and washed her, which, you know, I would, we probably would find quite difficult to do. But Val was amazingly loving. So when we went back, years, a few years later, we discovered that the woman had been accepted back into the main village and indeed she'd become a bit of a celebrity. But that had happened because Val had broken the taboo of fear and rejection that leprosy had in that culture. An astonishing effect to that act. So when the living temple touches the world, the love and new life, the healing life of Jesus bubbles up in us individually and corporately as a church we minister to the broken, the hurt and the excluded we bring sacred space to the world so to recap Christian ethics is the outworking of the reality of the living temple of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us like Peter and John we need to come from a place where God dwells in us and we connect with the broader body of Christ. When we encounter people, we need to engage person to person, relationally. And we must start by relating that way with each other, within the body of Christ, asking for forgiveness where we failed to do that, celebrating it when we're doing it well. It also involves surrendering our all to Jesus and building our security on him. Our deeds should not be carried out for public approval, and they don't make us righteous. Finally, when we as a living temple engage with people, we come across the love, the new life, new creation that nourishes us, overflows, and we minister without agenda, like Val did in China. Deep love and compassion motivated her. So perhaps you'd like the Holy Spirit tonight to bless you with a full measure to come and dwell in you. Perhaps you're in a place where you need to ask for forgiveness or for failing to engage person to person. So the final thing, healing. That's such a big subject. (laughs) 
and we don't have time to go through it all tonight. So I thought I'd mention a few things, and like Mark said in the morning service a few weeks ago, talks in church are the beginning of the conversation and not the end. So we see going on in this passage kind of hints of the kind of healings that Jesus did. So the important thing first to note is that the living temple is a continuation of the work Jesus was doing. And by the Holy Spirit, the healing parts of the Messiah are still ongoing. We see it happening in the early days of the church. And it happens now. I used to think when I was younger that if you kind of just prayed really hard and really thought it would happen, then it would happen. I don't think that's how healing works, unfortunately. <laughs> it's, it's not about manipulating God. It's not how it works. And there's an interesting dynamic in the New Testament. Not everyone is healed in the New Testament. Paul himself asked God to deal with some kind of affliction. We don't know what it is. But he kind of accepts it that God might not deal with it in his lifetime. Healing is associated with the coming of the Messiah and the now and not yet dynamic of the kingdom of God. It launched on resurrection, but it's not fully here yet. So I believe God can heal now because the kingdom of God is springing up within this reality. New creation started with the coming of Christ and his death and resurrection. However, the new heavens and new earth are not fully here yet. And we see from the passages in Isaiah in particular that complete and final healing is found with the new heavens and the new earth. So I see healing now primarily as a sign pointing to the presence of Jesus and the kingdom of God outworking now, but also pointing forward towards the time when Jesus returns and the new heavens and earth are fully brought into being. So I think we need to approach healing with that mindset. Trust that Jesus is the Messiah, that the kingdom of God is outworking through the death and resurrection of the Messiah, and with an eternal perspective, so we lean into the future when praying and ministering into the now. It's kind of a bit like a right-angle triangle, one direction, praying for healing into this reality, and the other direction, anticipating the complete healing to come in the new heavens and earth. It doesn't mean we should hedge our bets, though. We need to be yearning for the new heavens and earth to come and be ready to express this into our church here in Western and into the world. Your kingdom come on earth as in heaven. Finally, we see in this passage healing happening on a number of levels. The lame man is physically healed. He's also socially healed by Peter and John walking with him into the temple where he would have been unable to go beforehand because of his disability. So like Val, the physiotherapist, we can bring healing by restoring and reconnecting people to their communities. Perhaps you feel like the lame man, hurt, sick, or even excluded socially 
Perhaps you know someone who needs healing. So tonight, take the opportunity to seek prayer. So just to round everything off, we see here in Acts the early church empowered by the Holy Spirit as the living temple, as sacred space, encountering and moving into the world, initially in Israel, and then on in the second part of Acts to Rome itself. And from there, everywhere. We see the plans and purposes of God working themselves out in the early church. You may want a fresh measure of the Holy Spirit to catch you up again in these truths. You may feel the need to forgive or seek forgiveness. You may want to put your trust in Jesus again and ask him to come and dwell in you. The passage shows us a practical ethic. We engage with people person to person without agenda, eye contact. We don't carry out good deeds to make us righteous or to seek public approval. Instead, we build our lives on Jesus and point everything back to him. Our actions are motivated by an overflowing of the love and new life in us. And we see healing in this passage, physically and socially. Not everyone is healed this side of eternity, but it is springing up within this reality. It's part of what we should pray for and part of what we should engage in whilst leaning into the future final healing. You may need healing. You may know of others who need healing. (laughs) So, finally, we are the living temple, sacred space. Become the transformed people of God, ready to pray and minister healing into the places where you live and work, leaning towards the undiscovered country, the new heavens and earth. The Holy Spirit is with you all and me to the very end of the age. Amen.